Welcome to the Power Podcast and our 2020 theme, Power Perspective. I'm your host, Malia Warner. On this podcast, we discuss ideas to help us take life to the next level by seeing things in a new way. Today's episode 69, Three Common Mental Health Mistakes, Part 2. Hi, friends, and welcome. Last week was part one of this series. If you missed that, you might want to go back and listen to it first. I'm going to give a quick review of what we covered last week and then go into numbers two and three today. So last week I introduced the three common mistakes that we tend to make approaching or responding to mental health issues. And mistake number one was ignoring them. Yes, we tend to do this. We're getting better at it. And why do we tend to do this? Well, for one, if we don't see it and acknowledge it, then maybe it's not real and it's just that good old living in denial, just pretending it's not there, brushing it under the rug. Or another reason we might ignore a mental health issue is because we don't know what to do about it. We don't have the answer. And sometimes we feel that if we're the one that points it out or acknowledges it, then we also need to be the person who proposes a solution or who knows how to fix it. That is not true. We don't have to fix it or make it better in order to see it. And the solutions we talked about last week for not ignoring mental health issues were to one, see it, be a witness. We talked about the power of just validating other people's struggle, that it is okay to check in with people with no strings attached, that I don't have to make it all better, that I can see it and speak it. Just be willing to witness it, to label it, to put it into words. It is amazing how powerful those two things are. It is amazing how just by acknowledging it, putting a name to it, makes it much more solvable than if it is just this kind of unspoken mystery entity that no one really knows how to address. So it's an invitation to be brave, to be courageous, to be willing to see it and say it. And with that, let's dive right into moving on to Number two, mistake number two, or misunderstanding number two, or we can call this less courageous response number two, fear. Often our knee-jerk first instinctive reaction is to be afraid of and run away from signs of, symptoms of, discussions about mental health issues. And why, why is fear our response? When you hear the term mental, what comes to mind? Crazy serial killers running at you with a knife. Mental illness has been horribly stigmatized and represented in ways that invoke fear. We're scared of depression, anxiety, erratic behavior, and I get it. We've all seen too many movies about psycho people with knives. In an earlier episode, back in episode 18, I told the story of how the area where I live now used to host an annual haunted house in the local state mental hospital with the residents dressed up as chainsaw massacres. Thankfully, this is no longer a thing, but the stigma lingers. 
Yes, there is certified extreme psychotic illness, but the problem is when we allow fear of psychosis to spread into our approach of everyday mental health issues, this really needs to change. And this is why, and I'll start this off with a story. I read or saw a comedy sketch some time ago about a boy running from a monster, some kind of creature in the night. And he's terrified and he's running and running and jumping fences and hiding behind the garbage cans in the alleyway and there's suspenseful music. And he runs and runs and the tension builds and finally the boy is done. He can't run anymore. So he stops, he turns around, he stares the monster in the face, waiting for his demise. Well, the monster stops and he's breathing hard and says, Finally, why are you running? I have a message for you from so-and-so. And the monster gives the boy the message and goes away. And it's quite a comedic little sketch, but I think it's a good analogy for this point of what if symptoms of mental illness that we fear are really messages from our body and our spirit? Our body is designed to heal itself, and pain is a built-in warning mechanism to protect us. What if we pay attention to the pain rather than run away from it? Here, I'll refer you again back to episode 18. You can re-listen to episode 13 and then episode 18. In fact, all of the episodes from last May are very applicable here. That episode was titled Leaning Into Discomfort and discussing the topic of leaning in rather than running away when someone brings up the topic of mental illness. And I tell this story, which I'll just quickly summarize here, about a 23-year-old college graduate who was working as a reporter, actively using her brain, writing every day, a good writer. Then out of the blue, she starts swearing, cursing, has all this bizarre behavior, making inappropriate comments to colleagues and clients. So her parents take her to the emergency room Long story made short, but you can get the full story in her book, Brain on Fire. There's also a Netflix movie of the same name. If you want to read the book or watch the movie, skip this next spoiler part, skip the next 30 seconds. She is, air quote, diagnosed with a mental illness and all the doctors want to give her antipsychotic medications and it doesn't help and she ends up completely comatose and the hospital wants to admit her permanently to a psychiatric unit. And her parents are livid and trying to do everything that they can. And there's one doctor who takes an interest in her case and gives test after test, follows the clues, and ends up discovering that she has anti-MDA receptor encephalitis, which is a rare autoimmune disease that can attack the brain. And today, doctors think that this illness may account for many of the cases of demonic possession throughout history. People weren't really possessed by demons. They had encephalitis. They had a swelling or infection or something pressing on their brain. Many physical illnesses, even hypoglycemia, got people locked away in asylums back in the day. What does this mean for us? Well, instead of being afraid of someone's bizarre, erratic behavior, their change of moods, their sudden change of personalities, instead, look at the symptoms as a warning bell. Something is sounding the alarm to alert there is a malfunction. 
So rather than being afraid of mental health symptoms, accept the invitation to follow the clues to find the core issue. On that episode, I also shared the story of my teenage son who had a sudden severe change of behavior. I took him to the doctor believing that he would be diagnosed with teen depression and discovered that he was trying to heal from post-traumatic concussive syndrome or whatever that official name is from a bump on the head that had happened months earlier that wasn't even severe enough that we had remembered or paid attention to. I want to make the point, and I hope it's coming across clearly, that very often we jump to the conclusion of lumping things under a mental illness umbrella with the movie concussion and brain scans done by Dr. Amen and others. We are getting better at recognizing that what in the past has been lumped together as psychiatric disorders are actual physical brain issues. However, Fear of mental health issues results in feeling shame and results in hiding symptoms, not talking, not seeking help. These things only get stronger in secrecy. My cousin, who passed away three years ago, was principal of an elementary school. He was loved. No, he was adored by the kids and the teachers. He was such a good educator. He is really missed. There is a big hole where he should be. And I can say nothing ever fills that hole. Anyone who thinks the world will be better off without you, that's just not true. Nobody can take your place. Nobody, no thing fills in that hole when you're gone. You leave a unique space in the world. And the rest of us go on and we try to learn to exist with that space and maneuver around that empty space, but it doesn't go away. And there are a lot of days when I wish, and I imagine his siblings and parents and spouse feel the same way, when I wish that I could have a face-to-face conversation with my cousin and ask questions. I can't say I will never know in this life all of the reasons and things leading up. But I wonder if he felt that he couldn't mention that he wasn't feeling well due to fear of being diagnosed with mental illness and the stigma that goes with it and being afraid that parents and teachers wouldn't want him around their kids in the elementary school. What Eric Dykes referenced earlier in his email that I read that women's health issues are complicated I feel that's true about men's health issues. For me, from my perspective, when I had postpartum depression, at least there was a bit of softening of the sting of culpability due to the fact that I'd had a baby and that maybe there was this little bit more physical reason. And it was still so challenging to go through and speak about and just come to terms with. And I can only imagine that that is compounded for men, for fathers, for leaders in the community where there is an expectation, often self-imposed, that a man can't be weak or broken. And here is where I'll offer my second solution, my second thing that we can do instead of reacting out of fear. 
let's respond by not grouping symptoms as a mood disorder or a behavior problem. Instead of jumping to the conclusion and being afraid that you or your loved ones are crazy, think further. People don't just go crazy. Healthy 23-year-old reporters and teens and mothers, they don't just go crazy and act out and change personalities. There's a reason behind it. And this reason has nothing to do with character weakness. We can do better for ourselves and for our loved ones. We can change the thinking that a mental illness is a mood or behavior issue. This will help decrease the shame felt in speaking up about it and will hopefully help people to speak up and seek help rather than trying to hide it. What if, imagine the world, if we stopped labeling so many things under the umbrella of mental illness and seeing this as mood and behavior weaknesses, what if we approached the illness as treatable, correctable? It's not such a big deal. Would this empower people to be able to speak up to say, you know, I am not feeling right. Something is up, it's not me, and this is what I feel. And then instead of being afraid of that, looking it in the eye, following the signs, understanding the message of what is really there. So instead of a fearful, reactive response, it is a proactive, deliberate response. And then rather than being fearful and reactive and running away, we can respond with pragmatism. Okay, that's what you're feeling right now, but I know that's not you, so let's look deeper. And certainly here, I don't intend to minimize serious psychosis. Yes, there are sexual predators and people who take guns into schools, and for this reason, we need to keep our eyes open and be watchful. But what if we didn't freak out when people speak up and say they don't feel right? And what if we don't group them under the same psychosis umbrella? I think this would help people to not hide and to not try to face it alone. Hiding never resolves the issues, only compounds it. The cure is never found in the closet. Fear is a fertilizer. Instead, let's normalize it. Face it head on. Understand the message. Finally, mistake number three or misunderstanding number three, trying to force the fix. Trying to force the get well. You are broken and we need to get you better. We do this, everyone own up to it. We have a fear of broken things, a fear of messy things. It's our instinct to fix things, to not show weakness. We tend to be afraid of imperfection. This is a great time to read or listen to Brene Brown's book, The Gifts of Imperfection. In the film, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, there is a scene depicting a creation of one of the episodes. And in it, Mr. Rogers introduces his friends. Do you know what this is? This is a tent. A tent is for sleeping in, out of doors. Let's set it up. And he works and struggles and wrestles with this tent. And it goes on and on. And you know that the recording's going on and on. And it's taking up the whole time for the episode just in trying to put up this tent. 
And in the end, he couldn't do it. The tent was still a mess. So Fred Rogers comes off the stage, goes to the video camera. He says, let's see it. And the staff says, you know what? You want us to preset it for you? And they all rewatch the clip together. And Mr. Rogers looks over the footage and says, that's fine. Let's keep it. And the staff is like, okay, great. We'll keep it. He said, it's fine. We're all going to go to lunch. And there's a reporter there who asks Mr. Rogers, why wouldn't you let your staff preset the tent, have it all set up for you? And Mr. Rogers says, it's important for kids to see that even grown-ups struggle and that things don't always turn out the way we plan. Thank you, Mr. Rogers. Not everything works the way we expect. There are a lot of things that we try that don't work. And sometimes it's our bodies. Sometimes we don't work. Sometimes our bodies don't function at the speed or the efficiency that we want. Sometimes our brains struggle to remember words, names, and situations like we want it to. After my grandma had a stroke, I remember her being so frustrated that she couldn't come up with a word that she knew she knew, but she couldn't get it from her brain storage to her tongue. We are human. We have human bodies. We have human brains. And more often than not, our to-do lists and our expectations far exceed the abilities of these human bodies and brains. And then we get frustrated when our bodies and brains don't perform up to this unrealistic level that we've set. What if it's okay to be broken or slow or not to be able to set up the tent like we'd planned? We also have an unrealistic expectation that our emotions are always supposed to be joyful and happy. I make this mistake. I just had to change my Facebook profile this morning because I had typed in there that I help women to be healthy and happy. But that's not true because we aren't supposed to be happy all the time. Life is about feeling all the emotions. Sometimes we're meant to feel sad or angry. A lot of good gets done in the world because people get angry about injustices. Women, do you feel this? Do you feel this unrealistic expectation that you should always be happy and chipper and have things all together? We're ingrained with this TV sitcom, June Cleaver, Donna Reed perception, that a woman, a good woman, should always look bright-eyed and bushy-tailed with hair combed and the dress and the pearls and having our stuff all together. So this is why we get plastic surgery so our eyes look more alert, right? Heaven forbid we have under eye circles because we've been awake with a sick child or a sick loved one, or we stay awake worrying about world poverty. We are especially hard on our female politicians. We hold them to unrealistic expectations that they're never supposed to look tired, worried, or angry, or have any wrinkles. This isn't real. This isn't life. So my offering to counter the mistake of trying to fix it, trying to force the get well, is to be okay with not being okay. So what if you just had a baby and you don't feel great? What if that's okay? What if for an amount of time you are not going to be able to function at 100% of your normal? What if your 50% is enough? What if you have a bad day? Life has normal ebbs and flows. 
What if you have a period of time where everything doesn't get done? That's okay. You're still here and that's what matters. What if we don't need to show up perfectly? What if we just need to show up? What if it's not about our productiveness? What if it's about our presence? Glennon Doyle says, feelings are for feeling. If you feel depressed, anxious, jittery, go with that. In the process of acknowledging and naming the feeling, you often find the cause and are able to resolve it. Resisting the feelings cause them to persist. Most of the time, the only way to somewhere is through something. What if when you or your loved one doesn't feel great, instead of rushing in and trying to change it and fix it and make it all better, what if you go with it? What if it's okay? What if it's okay to not be at 100% for a time? Go through the feeling. Follow it. You can feel awful and still be a good mom. You may not be a Pinterest mom. That's okay. Even better, your kids don't want the Pinterest version of you. They just want you. To wrap things up for this episode, let's do a review of the mistakes or let's call them the misresponses to mental health issues and review what we can do instead. Number one, a mistake to ignore, to pretend it's not happening. What to do instead? See it, speak it, witness it, mention it. Seeing does not obligate you to be the fixer. I can reassure you it is not your job to fix the problem or to have the answers or to have the solutions. In fact, you can't. Healing is an individual choice. You can provide encouragement, ideas, resources, tools. You can be the person to mention it and to witness it. Senka, you dead, Mon? Yeah, Mon. Okay, Mon. Number two mistake, responding with fear. What to do instead? Recognize the warning signs. Instead of running away, stop and look the monster in the face and listen to the message. Also, rather than jumping to the conclusion of lumping all mental health issues under the umbrella of crazy or mental or insanity, realize that in the majority of cases, we are dealing with very treatable issues that are not just signs of character weakness or behavior problems. And number three, the mistake of trying to force the fix to get the person better. Instead of rushing in and trying to make it all well, instead, let's allow moms and dads and kids and friends to know they're okay the way they are. We don't need to fix them so they can get back to their schedule of frenzied living. When our bodies and brains malfunction, these are signs that we need to pay attention to what's going on. It's a message that maybe we need to slow down or change something in the way that we're approaching life. With the Emily effect, I interviewed a lot of women about their healing journeys through postpartum depression and anxiety. And every one of them said they would not go back and change the experience. 
because of how they grew and what they learned from the process. Healing heart, mind, and body is a process of personal growth. It's not something to avoid. It's not just something to get through. It's something to grow through. I hope that something in today's episode has offered you new perspective and has given you some more proactive, empowered thoughts and things to think about this month for mental health awareness. Thank you for tuning in. This is Malia Warner. I'll meet you back here next week. Until then, be safe, stay healthy. And if you can, take a minute and leave me a review on iTunes. This really helps other people to be able to find these episodes and I would really appreciate it. Thank you, my friends. Bye-bye.